From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Tune into the national news and you'll see it dominated by the fight over Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination, the Justice Department's Russia investigation, and, of course, President Donald Trump. These, we are told, are the issues that rile up the bases of the political parties. Political theater, indeed. But Simone Pathé, Roll Call's senior political reporter, has returned from a recent trip to Minnesota in which she was covering several congressional races there, and she saw a very different set of issues that were motivating voters and candidates. Simone, welcome to the show, and let's talk about some of these overarching issues that you saw when you were on the ground there. Yeah, I'd say healthcare is a biggie, the economy is certainly a biggie, and just a sort of general sense of fixing the political system. Not necessarily talking about Trump, but talking about getting money out of politics, for example. One anecdote that really stuck out to me, I was having breakfast in Duluth. I met a retired teacher, Don. He was 71 years old. I said, what are the most important issues to you this election? He said, healthcare, the economy, and healthcare. So we hear so much about how great the economy is doing. And it's not just from the president who has a a sort of a vested interest in convincing people that like things are going well under his administration. But, you know, the the by any measure, unemployment is down. Uh, The stock market is up. The I mean, the, the most of the measures by which we gauge if the economy is doing well seem to be doing well. But that doesn't seem to be the picture that you're you're getting. From your time there. Yeah, that doesn't translate everywhere. And that's why local issues like mining, for example, are really important in the 8th district. It's a huge issue up there whether these two new projects that would explore copper nickel mining, which is different from the iron ore mining that has been the region's claim to fame, whether these projects are allowed to go forward. It could create a lot of jobs for people up there. At the same time, there's concerns from some of the DFL and environmentalists that'll hurt the tourism industry, and that could actually hurt jobs. So the the, the localized economy is not necessarily reflective of of the positive numbers that we hear. Those don't necessarily translate to every community. Is anybody... Any of the from any of these races really, you know, amping up on things like that dominate our daily lives, like Kavanaugh or mm-hmm. Rod Rosenstein, whether he'll <laughs> stay or go. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, from our discussions that you're, I mean, b- before this podcast too, and just from your story, that there's a lot of concern about the economy, about mm-hmm. jobs, healthcare, and so forth. I mean, these are very kitchen table issues. It seems not base riling issues. Definitely. What a lot of voters are feeling in Duluth, but even in the more affluent areas uh, where folks are just tired of what they see as the system not working for the American people. All right. Let's let's take these these several different races that that you've covered and the candidates you covered, like sort of one by one. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start at the southern part of the state in District <laughs> 1? Or do you want to go up to the Iron Range up at the top of the state and, and work our way down? Let's start in the southern part of the state. Let's okay. go numerical. Congressional District 1. This is uh, the seat that Tim Waltz is is vacating. He's right. running for governor. He's mm-hmm. a Democrat. He's held this seat for a while. Uh, it's extremely competitive. Uh, it, it is a, 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 it's not a super conservative part of the of the world, but for Minnesota, it's fairly conservative. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the, the district and what you uh, what you saw there. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's an open seat. And this is, I'd say, one of Republicans' two best pickup opportunities in the country, the other being the 8th District, which we'll get to in a second. But you've got a perennial Republican candidate here who has won the nomination. His name is Jim Hagedorn. It's Mm -hmm. his fourth time running for this seat, third as the nominee. 
And he's facing a, a veteran, Dan Feehan, which, um, you know, is pretty symbolic of the kind of Democratic candidates we have seen across the country. He's another Seth Moulton recruit, Moulton being the representative from Massachusetts, who has put a big emphasis on recruiting veterans this right. year. Uh, he was actually out in Minnesota the week that I was there campaigning with Feehan. I saw great pictures of, of Moulton looking at old soda machines oh, at, yes. at a college. Yes. <laughs> in the HVAC department. Yes. <laughs> You've got to know how those soda machines work <laughs> if you're going to lead the country. <laughs> yes. Um, and so Waltz, it should be noted, is a big part of this race because he held the district for so long. He's pretty popular. He actually... A veteran himself. A veteran himself. In fact, um, one of the ads from one of the major outside groups, Vote Vets, uh, is about Hagedorn and Waltz. It doesn't even mention Feehan. It's it's <laughs> saying that, like, we need veterans, and it touts Waltz as if, you know, he's still running, which he's not. Um, but Feehan is expected to benefit from some of the coattails statewide that Waltz hopefully will have, especially in this first district, okay. because it's his old seat. Waltz barely squeaked by, though, actually in 2016, because right. this is a district that swung very heavily to Trump. Mm -hmm. Waltz was out there campaigning in the 8th district in 2016. I remember he was at a lot of events for Nolan. He didn't think he had a race. You know, he was hundreds of miles away. Right. Yeah, Rick Nolan, who's, who vacated his seat, yes. they, they thought they were going to run on the same ticket together, right? <laughs> I mean, like the, the, Nolan gave up his seat this year in order to run as, as Waltz's lieutenant governor running mate. And not that, and not that with didn't Waltz. happen, right? Oh, not with Waltz. Okay, sorry. With Laurie Swanson. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. My, my, my mistake. But but yeah, they, everybody seems to be think they seem to be thinking about other races at this point. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, so the, the test for this district really is to see whether Fian is able to win over some of those Trump voters, which he has to do just numerically to mm -hmm. win this seat, or whether folks who sided with Trump are going to vote Republican down the ticket this time and choose Hagedorn. Okay. So let's let's go uh, let's let's hopscotch. We'll we'll pass by the the second district, which mm -hmm. is just north of that, and we'll go to the aforementioned District Eight, uh, yeah. which is the Iron Range. It's it's a Duluth based, um, you know, area of uh, or congressional district. There's a lot of um, mining up there or mining mm -hmm. interests uh, up up there. Let's talk about and this is the seat that Rick Nolan vacated. Uh, he, he's retiring. Uh, he, he thought he was going to run as, be running as lieutenant governor, but he didn't win his primary. So let's talk about the two candidates there and how close the race is. Yeah. So for the past two cycles, this has been among the most expensive districts in the country, especially for outside spending. Those Duluth media markets, they just <laughs> kill you. <laughs> Which is kind of ironic, right? Because it is not a well-to-do area. In fact, the reason it is a competitive district is because it has fallen on hard economic times especially with mining in the Iron Range, as you mentioned, just doesn't employ the number of people that it did 10, 20 years ago. And also for the first time this year, you've got two brand new candidates. Nolan had faced um, Republican businessman Stuart Mills for, for two cycles in a row. This year, as you said, neither of them is running. So on the DFL, the Democratic farmer labor side, you have Joe Radinovich, who was actually Nolan's 2016 campaign manager. He was himself a state legislature. He lost his reelection in 2014 after voting to legalize same-sex marriage, which was very unpopular in his district. And he's facing Pete Stauber. Pete Stauber is a former Duluth police lieutenant, a former professional hockey player in the Detroit Red Wings operation. Uh, he has been touted as Republicans' best recruit of the cycle. Should be said, they don't have a ton of recruits because they control so many seats. They right. don't have as many pickup opportunities. But he is the cream of the crop this year in terms of the way he fits the district um, and just the profile that he brings to the table. Um, so, again, this is a district that swung huge for Trump. It actually saw the biggest swing of any competitive, competitive district from Obama to Trump. Uh, Nolan held on just barely by, I think, like half a percentage point in mm -hmm. 2016 when Trump won the district by 16 points. 
So the battle here is really for Radinovich to make a claim that he can win back these blue-collar, rural, mostly white voters. Uh, the first two generations of my family worked in the iron mines, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, I, my life, my whole American story is deeply intertwined with this region and specifically with mining. Mm-hmm. And that I understand that at an innate level what's going on mm-hmm. uh, with families like mine and families like those across the Eighth District. And it's a good test for the Democratic Party across the country. And I think heading into 2020 is, is can the Democratic Party succeed in these places where it used to have a really strong base? Right. And, and the... You know, Minnesota, it should be said, is the only upper Midwest state that did not vote for Donald Trump. Now, right. Trump um, did not win overwhelmingly in Wisconsin or Michigan, but also those states had not voted for a Republican presidential candidate uh, in, in generations. So mm-hmm. so the fact that Minnesota, uh, even though Hillary Clinton only won it, you know, narrowly, I mean, it, it was it was the sort of uh, stalwart for the for the Democrats. And this is why it's emerging as the sort of the spellweather in this cycle. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And especially because you've got so many different kinds of districts. And when we've talked about two Trump districts, we'll talk about some Clinton districts where the roles are completely reversed um, outside the Twin Cities. So let's go down now to District 2. Yes. Uh, and and th- this is one of the, the where Republicans feel pretty good about trying to take these seats that Waltz and Nolan are, are vacating and they feel good about their, you know, well, they at least feel pretty good about Stauber. Maybe they're crossing their fingers on Hajdorn <laughs> that, that he can that he can break through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in District 2, uh, this this might be one of the, the seats that Democrats steal back. Yes. So this is another seat that was won by Donald Trump, but not nearly by as much as the first or the eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a rematch between Jason Lewis, who is the freshman congressman, Republican, and Angie Craig, who mm-hmm. tried to uh, beat him last time in 2016. Her polling, everyone's polling, showed her winning, mm-hmm. uh, heading straight into Election Day in 2016. And it was just as much of a surprise, frankly, that she didn't win as it was that Hillary Clinton didn't win. Um, there was a third party candidate on the ballot who took about seven or eight percent of the vote. So a lot of Democrats this time are optimistic that without that other person, that Angie Craig will be OK. Um, but it is still a fairly conservative district and there is a, a ceiling for Democratic candidates in this area. Craig has done a lot to kind of reinvent herself to run a different campaign. She is using brand new consultants. She's using a new pollster. Um, She is talking much more about her own personal story. She grew up very poor in Arkansas, um, and she's she's definitely talking a lot more about that. You don't see her in ads walking in the boardroom wearing a buttoned-up pantsuit as you did in 2016. Definitely trying to portray uh, a less Hillary (laughs) Clinton-esque vision of herself. Are there any flannel shirts yet? I haven't seen flannel shirts. Okay. I did next. see her wear one at a parade, there but, but not in an ad. <laughs> <laughs> and then and it, on the uh, western side of the state, we've got another competitive district that is the, is is like the Republicans' white whale. I mean, this is their Moby Dick, and it's Col- mm-hmm. Colin Peterson's. Uh, you know, this is sugar beet country. <laughs> this is uh, uh, an area, and Peterson has been there, you know, since time immemorial. There and there, and what's what's his race looking like? Yeah, so Peterson also had a much closer race than expected last time. I remember being at a fish fry with him in Brainerd in 2016. He was campaigning for Rick Nolan. Brainerd of Fargo fame. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he stood up and was joking about how his opponent had $2,000 in the bank. And he said, you know, I think I might win to laughs from the crowd. And lo and behold, he won by only five points. 
uh, against this man who literally had $2,000 in the bank. The same guy Dave Hughes is running. He's been endorsed on Twitter by Donald Trump. No one really knows who he is in our world, although he conceivably having run multiple times is getting more traction in the 7th district. But Peterson is taking his race more seriously this time. Uh, He's actually doing polling. He says he's going to be cutting ads. And he thinks he's the last Democrat who can hold this district. I toured a lot of businesses with him, spoke to a lot of Republican business owners who said, yeah, we like this guy. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep voting for him because he serves our interests well. So in in your 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 talk and, and we we have to sort of gloss by the the Senate races because they're not really nearly as as competitive. We'll we'll you know touch on them in, in a second. But talking to all these candidates, you know these I mean these four races just seem emblematic of of each party's you know sort of fight in front of them that they they need to either hold serve or they need to flip and they need to like gain some momentum. Is anybody uh, are any of the candidates running on these on these? issues that I talked about at the, at the beginning. Are they, are they talking about Brett Kavanaugh? Are they talking about Trump at the UN? I mean, I know that was just, that was after he got back from the trip, uh, or what Trump does in the international stage. Are they talking about the Russia investigation? What are, what are the candidates talking about? What mm-hmm. are they running on if they're trying to activate their base? Yeah, well, I want to talk quickly about the third district, because mm-hmm. that's really the most important one here and, and potentially where Republicans have the biggest chance of losing. That's Eric Paulson. Um, And he was a survivor in 2016. Mm -hmm. He won by, I don't know, 14 points or something, while Clinton also won the district by Mm -hmm. nine or 10 points. He's facing Democrat Dean Phillips. Phillips has never run for office before. He is the heir um, to the Talenti gelato fortune. As one is. As one is. (laughs) (laughs) And he is running all about campaign finance Mm -hmm. and fixing the system. And he says he probably wouldn't be running this race if it weren't for Trump. You know, he talks about his own personal story of watching the election Mm -hmm. through the eyes of his teenage daughters. Um, And that he knows that, you know, Paulson would not be in as sticky position as he is if Trump weren't in office. Mm -hmm. Paulson has never run for reelection with a Republican in the White House before which tells you a lot about Minnesotans and um, their willingness to ticket split. You know, he's he's always been able to bank on that. This year, potentially not so much. But it's been interesting to see, even though Phillips acknowledges that Trump is a focal point of this campaign, he's not really talking about Trump. He's taking the fight straight to Paulson. He's talking about him, accusing him of being part of this corrupt political system, mm-hmm. um, of not being accessible. That's something you hear a lot about. He drives around in this government repair truck. Uh, he has a government repair pontoon and an ice fishing shack. It's it's a bit of a gimmick, but mm-hmm. it seems to be working out there. Ice fishing is hugely important in Minnesota, oh, it as is. I found out from my friends who live there. <laughs> uh, but he's energized a lot of folks, a lot of Republicans and a lot of independents, folks who weren't necessarily engaged in politics before, but are mm-hmm. also just fed up with Congress and not necessarily with Trump, but sort of using the chaos in Washington. He talked about, um, you know, the day that Manafort and everyone else seemed to get in trouble. It was all and then Chris Collins and Duncan Hunter. And there were all these Republicans who suddenly were facing ethical and legal issues. And he said that's kind of when things started to turn around Mm -hmm. and turned in his favor. And people were saying, "Okay, yeah, we do need a change. Bipartisanly, we need to protect one of our best uh, one of our best uh, institutions that we have. Peter, How are you? Oh, I'm good well. to see you. Nice to see you too. Have fun today, everybody. Um, and so even if it's standing up against the, the president or my own party, uh, I think it's important to do. 
And Paulson's district remind me of. I mean, this is Paulson like is the affluent, well-educated yeah, Twin Cities yeah. suburbs. Okay, yeah. So really, that's. I mean, if if we do include uh, Peterson in that, that's actually five competitive races. I mean, yeah, like, uh, Peterson's just, much less yeah, so. Much less so. And then the two Senate races, we have Amy Klobuchar who's running uh, on the, on on her regularly scheduled, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a, a program. Um, her opponent, Jim Newberger. Mm-hmm. Um, met him briefly. Mm-hmm. He talks about female genital mutilation, uh, sanctuary cities, mm-hmm. um, some resistance to immigration into mm-hmm. the state, the things so, you hear on the far right. So this is more – that seems to be more of a base riling thing. And yeah. yet we're looking at Klobuchar as a fairly solid yes. democratic yes. seat. And then – Senator uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith. Tina uh, Smith. Tina, I'm sorry, Tina Smith. Uh, mixing my M state <laughs> special elections for senators <laughs> with Mississippi there. Sorry. She is running for the full term that, that Al Franken, you know, vacated when he left the Senate right. under sexual uh, misconduct allegations. She is is running. Yes. Um, and, and so and that is we, we have that as as Democrat favored, too. I mean, from most of like mm-hmm. not we, but like our, our friends like Nathan Gonzalez at Inside Elections and the folks over at the Cook Political Report uh, see that as a uh, as Democrat favored. One last race I want to talk about, and it's not a, an issue, it's not a race that we would typically cover at roll call, the attorney general's race, but Keith Ellison, a Democrat from Minneapolis and co-chairman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, he is leaving Congress to run for attorney general. He won his primary, but he has also come under a, you know sort of a cloud about allegations of domestic violence from a from an ex-girlfriend, and, and that has sort of shadowed this race a little bit. And even, again, even though it's not a... There's not a, an angle in it for us in terms of keeping track of the House, you know, who will be in the House and Senate majorities in, in 2019. Does, was this coming up at all in, in the race? Because, I mean, sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, you know, domestic violence, women's, you know, like in, in general, it, you know, the issues that are surrounding, um, that are animating a lot of particularly suburban women. Is this, did this come up when you were, you know, covering Minnesota? Yeah, I heard little bits and pieces about it. I say it, especially in the the Senate race, the Tina Smith, Karen Housley race, um, which is the race that Housley calls the Me Too seat. It definitely overshadows, you know, Frank and Ellison Kavanaugh. There's a lot of folks we're hearing about in the news. She is attacking uh, Tina Smith for being a bit of a hypocrite because she has said that right now, before we know definitively what happened with Ellison, that she is standing by him in this election while saying that she's not going to vote for Kavanaugh in the Senate. Um, So again, this is both parties trying to kind of score political points here when they say everyone should be afforded the the same, uh, the due process, regardless of party, and and one candidate accusing the other of of having a bit of favoritism here, depending on party. So some of the the big issues like this are are creeping in like like that. But but again, overall, your impression of the state is that that's that's not animating people nearly as much as healthcare and jobs. Yeah, I heard a lot less about Kavanaugh and about Russia um, than I certainly do in any day out here in D.C. All right. Well, Simone, thank you so much. Uh, welcome back. Uh, and I would uh, put in a plug also for not just reading your stories, but to subscribing to your newsletter that you uh, write with Bridget Bowman, your yes, uh, political colleague at the races. You can find that on uh, rollcall.com slash at the races. And 
again, thanks again. Thank you. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us uh, on this podcast. You can subscribe to it on your favorite apps such as iTunes, NPR One, or Spotify. Please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. And for more on this and other stories, such as the ones that we've described uh, from Minnesota, you can visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thank you for listening.